Good evening. It is Friday, July 15th, and we are just over the top of the hour. It's the third Friday of the month, which of course means it is time for that show about film and television trivia. Matinee Minutia. Yeah, give us some of that Henry Mancini goodness. Yes. I see the little RCA Victor label that somebody uh, peeled off back in the day. <laughs> now, I wonder if he did the, the music for the whole movie, or he just did the theme, the main thing. Um, that's a good question. The soundtrack seems to have at least six titles, and it's. I don't remember there being anything other than instrumental, so he could have, and this is certainly that period of time where they would have written a score just for this because they weren't using pop music. Yeah. Oh, but here. This is the perfect music for our ushers, I mean our showgirl, to uh, escort people to their seats. Well, okay. I guess so. I guess if, <laughs> if I have to be the one to do that. Oh, yeah, that's right. I am the usher. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm ready. Now, now behave there with your flashlight. I don't want to have any complaints. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. It, it, it was um, too expensive on the insurance that last time. <laughs> I, I have a feeling. Um, well, I just know Gertie's going to say something about how she should have been Audrey Hepburn in this movie. Oh. Hey! You could have waited till I said that. <laughs> I knew it. Well, we got to also talk about Gertie's ride, too, because she's got that, that sweet little scooter, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I bet it's a gas saver. Ooh, well, I think it's about five after here. So, uh, you know, if you're late to the party, um, good luck uh getting some of that seven-layer dip that Gertie is so famous for. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to the beautiful, historical Marionette Theater, where something's afoot. Uh, there's uh, a blushing, uh, well, not bride anymore, but uh, a lady who's living abroad that finds out her husband isn't the guy she thought he was. And uh, she spends the rest of it uh, trying to figure that out. Well, uh, you will take your seats, folks. Matinee Minutia is about to begin. Hello, good evening, Mr. Smelly. How are you this fine night, this fine July night? We're firmly into summer. Uh, we certainly are. Uh, it's been lovely. Although dry, we need some rain rather desperately around here anyways. Uh, it's been threatening to rain like every day and it, and it never does. But uh, but it's been lovely. Uh, the nights, uh, uh, most of them, it's cooled off so that it's not horrible inside. Um, so I can't complain. It's been nice. Yeah, I mean, uh, Hubby uh, spent uh, a good amount of time mowing the yard down so that Mrs. Kravitz wouldn't complain. 
and uh, we've been out without rain for long enough that it's going to be a while before it springs back to life. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, on these rainless nights, at least our uh, senior showgirl hasn't had to hurry into the building to close those skylights because uh, we, we don't want to ruin the furniture again. <laughs> of course, they drip, but they need to be recocked. Mm, yes, they do. And, uh, well, you know, as they say, she, she knows a guy. So, um, you know, you, you got a job that needs to be done. If, uh, you, you don't even need to go to that um, temp agency. You just go to Gertie because she knows a guy. <laughs> she she knows lots of guys. I mean, no, that's not what I mean. No, she, yeah. You know, I thought I heard uh, the hum of a scooter coming around the corner there. And um, I think our showgirl has gotten her ride back from the impound lot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's all, all about that scooter. Uh, she said, uh, "She says I can talk for myself. Saves me lots of money. It's very safe, and uh, and I can weave in and out of the traffic here at Mud Flats because uh, you know we got lots of traffic. Not really, but <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Oh, I feel like such a free spirit when I'm riding it." Wow, that's nice. Isn't it true that your it was your grandmother's and uh, she got it because she loved Audrey Hepburn in that movie? What was it, Roman Holiday, where she was going around on the scooter everywhere? Well, yeah, I mean, sure, if you want to believe that. Uh, no, <laughs> just the <laughs> truth. Yeah, not really. But anyways, it's a good story, DJ. Uh, no, this is a, it's a brand new electric scooter, uh, modern, don't you know? Um, but I do feel like Audrey Hepburn riding around on it. I do. Hmm. Well, she is certainly in our film tonight. And um, if you will get yourself down there to the stage, okay. we'll introduce this for the folks. I'm going. There she goes. <laughs> uh, just, uh, we, we, folks, please do tip our showgirl because, uh, well, she's got some unpaid parking tickets. Oh, did I let the cat out of the bag? Shh, shh, shh. Here we go. Regina is a disenchanted American expatriate who's grown tired of spending time apart from her husband. She's decided it's time to call things off. But before she's had a chance to have the papers drawn up, she's called to the morgue to identify her husband's body. Over the next few days, she notices she's being followed by strange men who came to the funeral. What do they want? Who was the man she'd married? Is the handsome older guy the enemy? And more important, is he single? Grab a pair of sunglasses, a trench coat, and your passport. We're going to Paris. It's time for Charade with Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. What do you get when you take a dash to the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies. And a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Okay, so this is... 
not actually our first time abroad, Mr. Smelly. I think that we have been to Gay Paris about three times now, if you can believe that. Okay, now I know Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, Phantom of Paradise? Uh, maybe, but it was actually, <laughs> ironically, in tonight's film, they mentioned the movie by name as they're going along the, uh, the river there. They're taking a stroll, and they talk about Mr. Gene Kelly in that movie, American in Paris. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so that uh, that apparently had happened just a few years before, and uh, it was still a topic of conversation. Well, I could tell you the reason probably that got in there was the producer and director was really good buddies with uh, Kelly. So, mm-hmm. uh, anyways, that was probably a little tip of the hat to him. We'll talk about uh, more about that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Why don't we? Talk about the date, 1963. Fill us in. What was happening back then? All right. So this is the world history in 1963. Way back then, my house is actually only a year old. (laughs) So uh, Da Vinci's Mona Lisa is displayed for the only time in the U.S. at the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C., You know, if I was a European, I probably wouldn't trust Americans with my treasuries either. Oh, well, I got to tell you, can you imagine the security (laughs) around that? (laughs) Truly. African-American Harvey Gantt is admitted to Clemson University in 63. And uh, South Carolina is the last state to hold out against racial integration. Interestingly enough, South Carolina is also the home state of the director of this film. Uh, let's see. Travel, financial, and commercial transactions by the United States uh, citizens to Cuba are made illegal by John F. Kennedy's administration in 63. Omar cigars. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, the invasion was about to begin, and, uh, well, uh, some think that that uh, was his undo- the beginning of his undoing. Okay, in 63, Iron Man, for our comic book nerds out there, debuted for its first time in Marvel's comics, Tales of Suspense, number 39. Yay! Woohoo! And back then, his costume was all gold. Ooh. I think it was gold. Anyways, it was freaking yellow. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. It started out gray. Mmm. Then it was yellow. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> it depended on, uh, you know, if he had the color TV. Oh, we were talking about comics. Okay. <laughs> In 63, Gideon versus Wainwright was a uh, case that the Supreme Court ruled the state courts are required to provide counsel in criminal cases for defendants who cannot afford to pay their own attorneys. This was back in 63. Now, um, I don't have the details, but uh, people, you need to pay attention to um, world events and recent news because um, there were some decisions. Let me get my my teeth in here. Some decisions made recently that affects the reading of Miranda rights, your rights as a citizen when you're under arrest and if you've possibly broken the law look it up folks Uh, some of our states are not requiring that those be read and it used to be if you weren't read your rights that you weren't arrested lawfully 
What's going on here? Uh, I know. Uh, moving on, we have, speaking of uh, rights and breaking the law, Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary on Alcatraz Island, The Rock, in San Francisco Bay. It closed in 63. The last 27 prisoners at Alcatraz were transferred elsewhere. They they scattered them to the winds, you know. Do we do we know why it closed? I mean, I don't want you to look it up. I just uh, well, I think that uh, the the facility was outgrowing its usefulness because uh, there were too many people being put away there. Oh, I thought you were going to say there were too many people escaping. <laughs> no, uh, although the the building was. Um, in dis in disarray and disrepair because of the salt air, so I, I assume that that was making it easier for people to get in and out. But uh, there was a Sean Connery movie about this in the '90s. Let's see, uh, the 35th Academy Awards in '63 were hosted by Frank Sinatra and held at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia win uh, won and received the most awards and nominations with seven and ten, winning Best Picture. Oh, one of the most amazing movies ever. And Lean won Best Director. In '63, Coca-Cola debuted its first diet drink. Now, Whoa. by the time I was a lad, Michael J. Fox was doing their advertisement. I, I had no idea. No idea it, it went back that far. I know, and I think they recently, only recently, stopped making it. Well, I should hope so, for heaven's sake. <laughs> it was an acquired taste. It's like a Royal Crown Cola, you know. Do By the way, if anyone knows the difference between Coke Zero or any of these Zeros <laughs> and Diet Coke, just... Send me an email, okay? Because, you know. <laughs> well, I could tell you, but that's a different show. Okay. okay. In 63, Dr. No. You know, um, it's all about consent in the 21st century. They said no. Dr. No, the first James Bond film, was shown in theaters in the U.S. for the first time in 63. So we started uh, paying attention to the 007 stories. And in 63, the film Cleopatra, which, of course, starred Elizabeth Taylor, Rex Harrison, and Richard Burton was released in the United States. Yes, famously. Mm. Way, 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 I way hear over as, budget. Yes, and I, I hear, as the kids say, Liz was generous with her uh, gentleman callers. <laughs> that, might have, that might have involved Mr. Richard Burton, but I digressed. Okay, so in 63, Walt Disney, The Mouse House, the uh, debuted The Enchanted Tiki Room at Disneyland. You know, that's the park on the West Coast, not the one in Florida. And uh, it premiered the first audio animatronics in the park that year. Now, I'm not sure that you'd know this topic because I know you were just a, a wee one at the time. But can you imagine a time when you wrote a letter to someone and you weren't sure it was going to get to them? Well, in 63, the Postal Service first implemented zip codes. I did not know that. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I mean, before that, you know, people used to address things in the strangest way. And, you know, for the most part, they actually got to where they were supposed to be. But if you look at old envelopes and the addresses, it's like, Mr. Timothy Smith, Boston. 
I was just like, you know. But yeah, I I I uh, I don't remember. You know, of course, I don't remember a time before zip codes. Oh goodness! And then you know, by the time I was uh, out of short pants, they added four digits to zip codes. They called it the super zip. Nobody uses those. <laughs> nobody uses them. I'm sorry. Nobody uses them. Oh, uh, so speaking of things that we may not use anymore, telephones. The first push button telephone, you know, touch tone, was boop, made boop, 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 boop. available to 80 Ma Bell customers in the U.S. in 63, all back then. Oh, all well. right, Myron Gertz in the chat room. Because we do have a chat room, folks. We're doing this live. She says, zip codes were scary when they first came out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I bet you didn't know this, Toppy. The first couple of digits of a zip code tell you what part of the country someone is in. And the zip codes on the East Coast are lower numbers. So zeros, then ones. By the time you get out to the Midwest, you've got fives and sixes. Texas has sevens, and Colorado has eights, and California has nines. Yes, I didn't know that. I wait. I know way too much about this, so let's move on. <laughs> let's see now. Uh, finishing out 63, Disney released their 18th feature-length feature animated motion picture, when Mr. Walt Disney was still with us in 63, The Sword and the Stone, and it was about the boyhood of King Arthur. It was Disney's final animated film to be released during Walt's lifetime, before his death a few years later in 66. Huh. All right. Well, let me tell you some of the boys, uh, boys, as I like to say, celebrities, entertainers, you'll know these names. We've got uh, the, uh, the William Baldwin. Yeah. We've got the Chase Masterson. Uh, oh, up, uh, up! Uh, Star Trek connection. Yes, sir. Hey, uh, Lita on Deep uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, Brett Michaels, uh, musician. Vanessa Williams, model, actress, singer. Kathy Ireland, another model. Quentin Carantino, that uh, I don't know, that ribald director out there. Lisa, oh, cheapers. Blair. Uh, uh, let me sure I pronounce this right. Well, Welchel. Mm-hmm. Lisa Welchel, did I do it right? Yes, and I'll tell you where she's from. Girls! Girls! Yeah, and if you don't know what that means, it was the facts of life. Johnny Depp. Lisa Kudrow. Whitney Houston. Oh, Whitney. John Stamos. Richard Max. He's a musician. Elizabeth Shue lives in a shoe. No, she doesn't. <laughs> She's an actress from Adventures in Babysitting. Brad Pitt. Oh, oh Toppy knows who Brad Pitt he, is. He's only one year uh, younger than me. Well, we know Brad Pitt because uh, we did Thelma and Louise here, and that was his big debut. And, oh, I don't, I don't remember ever being so electrified by a young man in a movie <laughs> uh, when I saw Thelma and Lisa. Okay. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, here uh, here we are, and uh, Brad Pitt lit Toppy's pants on fire with Thelma and Louise, and I was just glad that he got shot in a movie called Burn After Reading. <laughs> oh, dear. But to be honest, uh, he he played a, a ditzy blonde character, so it, it was meant to be. I I do have I have enjoyed some films with Brad Pitt in it. Anyways, back in '63, Toppy, 
to put your mind into well, what else was going on, because this is a film that we're talking about tonight, Charade. The other films that were maybe competing for your attention at the box office there, as we've mentioned, the, the, the big winner at the Academy Awards, Cleopatra with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Well, that was number one, and it brought in $57 million in 60s money. And then uh, coming up next was the number two on the ladder there. It was a film with Jimmy Stewart and Mr. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. John Wayne. Uh, 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 Mary, Mary, <laughs> don't you recognize me? Oh, that's Eat your Campbell's soup. <laughs> <laughs> it was how the West was won, and um, John Wayne was dad, one of Dad's favorites, and I, I just can't imagine Jimmy Stewart being in it. I'm sure it was good. I'll have to mm-hmm. see it. It brought in $46.5 million. Number three at the box office that year. It was a film with Spencer Tracy and Milton Berle, just to name a few. Uh, just a tape of few. <laughs> it's a uh, mad, mad, mad Maybe more Mads world. <laughs> yeah, and if, if you can tell by these movies, Cleopatra, How the West Was Won, it's a Mad, 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 Mad world. Uh, the movies were competing with television, and they were trying like hell to get people to come back, get out of their seats, get out of their house, come back to the movies. And so they were basically saying, look at what we can do. We can do these huge, long epics on widescreen and it's gonna knock your socks off so all of these were widescreen epic movies um and i'd love to know and i don't i don't know uh, if charade was widescreen it it wasn't an epic like cleopatra Mm -hmm. anyways i i don't know if charade was released in any special way so but what where did charade come in there oh DJ? goodness toppy i i think that perhaps we're going to uh may, not ruin but maybe change our reputation because you know there are expectations here you mean charade did good oh my goodness charade actually come in number came in number 10 and it's surprising not because i thought it was a uh an underdog film not with audrey hepburn in it certainly but this movie was released in december of 63 so for being one of the last films on the tally for the year it did quite well it was number 10 and it brought in 13.4 million of 60s money now, uh, to to give you an idea of what it was up against more directly, the film that did one better than Charade was a film called McClintock, which, of course, had uh, Mr. John Wayne. I'm forgetting um, John Wayne's nickname there, but... Uh, uh, Duke. Yes, the, uh, the Duke. The Duke. And, oh, uh, wait a minute. I, I was, I'm thinking of McLeod. McLeod! Yes. Not, not McClintock! It's, no, it's it, different. It's, it's a, those Scottish no. names. They always trip you up there. <laughs> and, of course, uh, along with Mr. John Wayne was more Maureen O'Hara, one of Dad's favorites. She she was pretty. Oh yes, it brought in fourteen point five million, and the film that did uh, one less better than uh, Charade. Uh, I, I'm a little surprised. I forgot that this was the cast. Now I I actually tried out for a part in this play in high school, and well, I wasn't a very good student. I was kind of on 
uh, academic probation, so I didn't get to be in the play. But, but it was Bye Bye Birdie, which starred Mr. Dick Van Dyke and smoldering uh, temptress Anne Margaret, and it brought in $13.4 million in 63. Yeah. I'm not totally sure, but I, I think Dick Van Dyke and Anne Margaret were doing it on Broadway, I think. Hmm. Along with uh, what's his face from Bewitched, uh, the, the Uncle Arthur. Okay. What's his name? Oh, um, uh, Paul Lind. Uh, Paul Lind. Okay. Anyways, I think. I think. I watch uh, his Halloween special every year. No. <laughs> oh my God. Well, let's talk about the director. Yes, because, you know, all things have happened here, including magic, and the director is the magician of the film. Tell us something about the guy who made this. Okay, and I did not know any of this, folks, so I was pretty fascinated. Stanley Dunn, and he's the director. He was born in South Carolina. And, uh, listen, I don't know how... He started out as a tap dancer. (laughs) Uh, that was his passion, and that's what he wanted to be, and he became a tap dancer. And uh, this led him to Broadway, and he eventually met Gene Kelly. This was about 1941. The two of them became friends, uh, and over the next two decades, uh, I'm sorry, the next decade, they collaborated on the choreography of films uh, like On the Town in 49, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, Singing in the Rain, both in 52. And uh, they brilliantly choreographed these movies. In 49, uh, eventually, Donovan would be awarded a seven-year contract with MGM. In fact, Donovan and Kelly are credited with having made a significant transition of musicals and especially the dance form. Uh, I mean, when you think of Fred Astaire going back, most of the dancing was done as if it was on a Broadway stage or something. And Donnan and Kelly kind of made this transition to make the music part of the movie more integral into the rest of the story and it was quite a leap and there's lots of people out there who argue who was the real innovator uh was it don and was it kelly i forget about that they they were collaborators they they did it together and uh and they they made history uh um so his other films uh, these are all musicals royal wedding Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. It's always fair weather. Funny face. And uh, he got going. And uh, he uh, he and Kelly, you know, they had a great uh, partnership. But they, they split. They kind of had a bad ending there. Uh, and uh, Donnan went on his own. And he formed his own production company. And... Uh, he started, uh, by the way, these, these movies, uh, he kind of co-directed or directed uh, the, those musicals I just mentioned. Um, so that's, that's what he was doing. He was, he was directing these musicals. 
but uh, he be- he became more than a director. He became a producer, and he formed his own production company. And he did in 1958, indiscreet, with Cary Grant and well, can't remember. Uh, uh, can't remember. Anyways, uh, and it wasn't a musical. Uh, and then in '63, he made Charade, not a musical. Um, and Charade ended up being one of Donnan's most praised movies. And Donnan just said, listen, I did this movie because I always wanted to make a movie like my favorite, one of my favorite directors, Alfred Hitchcock. And, and I wanted to make a movie like North by Northwest. And I just wanted to do it. <laughs> and so he was attracted to this material that was originally a novel. Uh, by Peter Stone, and he got Peter Stone to to write the uh, script for his movie, and uh, voila, uh, he made Charade, which is known as the best Hitchcock movie that Hitchcock never made. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that's the director, Stanley Donnan. Hmm. Okay, so we are at about the halfway point in our show. Toppy, go ahead and set up for me the clip that we're about to listen to. So this is a scene from the movie uh, about mm, midway. Uh, lots of things have happened. For one thing, Cary Grant, we can't figure out, by we, I mean us, the audience, and also Audrey Hepburn, can't figure out if he's a good guy or a bad guy. And for like the third time, she's finding out his real name, if it's even his real name. And they're on this little, uh, uh, cute little uh, riverboat where they're having dinner, and it's on the, whatever the famous French river is there, and uh, they're talking, uh, and uh, here we go. You haven't spoken a word for 20 minutes. I was thinking about Charles and Scobie and who's going to be next. Me? I don't suppose you know who the murderer is, do you? No, not yet. Whoever's left alive at the end will pretty much have sewn up the nomination, don't you think? What are you trying to say, that I might have killed Charles and Scobie? What I had to do to satisfy you? Become the next victim? It's a start, anyway. Oh, I can't understand you at all. One minute you're chasing me around the shower room and the next minute you're accusing me of murder. Carson Dial had no brother. Oh, I can explain that if you'll just listen. Well, I can't very well leave without a pair of water wings, can I? All right, get set for the story of my life. Fiction or non-fiction? Why don't you shut up? Where? Are you going to listen? Go on. All right. Now, when I was a young man, my father expected me to go into his business. Umbrella frames, that's what he made. Well, a sensible business, I suppose, but I didn't have the sense in those days to be sensible. I suppose all this is leading somewhere. Well, it led me away from umbrella frames for one thing. But that left me without any honest means of support. What do you mean? Well, in this highly competitive world, when a man has no profession, there isn't much choice. So I began looking for people who had more money than they needed, including some they barely miss. You mean you're a thief? Well, that's not exactly the term I'd have chosen, but it sort of captures the spirit of the thing. I don't believe it. I can't really blame you now. But I do believe it. That's what I don't believe. So it's goodbye, Alexander Dial, and welcome home, Peter Joshua. Mm -hmm. Sorry, the name's Adam Canfield. Adam Canfield? Mm -hmm. Wonderful. 
Don't you realize you've had three names in the past two days? I don't even know who I'm talking to anymore. Oh, the man's the same, even if the name isn't. No, he isn't the same. Adam Canfield is a crook, and I want to know why. Well, it's simple. I like what I do. I enjoy my work. There aren't many men in the world who love their work as much as I do. I mean, you're looking around sometimes. Is there a Mrs. Canfield? Yes, but, but we're, we're divorced. divorced. Mm. That's right. Now go and eat your dinner. Oh, I could eat a horse. I think that's what you ordered. Don't you dare be civil with me after leading me on like this. How did I lead you on? Oh, all that marvelous rejection. You knew I couldn't resist it, and now it turns out all you're interested in is the money. That's right. Oh. Well, what would you like me to say? That a pretty girl with an outrageous manner means more to an old pro like me than a quarter of a million dollars? I don't suppose so. Well, it's a toss-up, I can tell you that. What? Hasn't it occurred to you that I'm having a tough time keeping my hands off you? Oh, you should see your face. What's the matter with it? It's lovely. Now what's the trouble? I'm not hungry anymore, isn't it glorious? So there was, of course, a boatload, and we, we could say that because there was just a boat in this boatload of talent that came together to make this film. We just learned about the director. Now we're going to talk about the folks that appeared in front of the camera. And that, of course, um, starts with Miss Audrey Hepburn. Now, uh, in today's vernacular, uh, Audrey Hepburn would be considered what we call an influencer, a trendsetter. She was one of those people that you uh, looked at the photos when she would appear in a magazine. What is Audrey wearing? Because, uh, you know, the young girls, they want to dress like her and be like her. So Miss Audrey Hepburn played Regina Lampert in this film. And Audrey was actually born in Brussels, Belgium. Her mother was a Belgian duchess, so she descends from royalty people. And or, uh, maybe that's just aristocracy. But uh, her father was born of English and Austrian heritage. After her parents' divorce, she would follow her mother to and from London, where she attended private school as a young girl. While vacationing with her mother in the Netherlands... Hitler invaded and the Nazis began their occupation. Once safely back in London, she attended a ballet school under a scholarship. During this time, she was discovered and took part in her earliest minor roles in the late 40s and early 50s, eventually leading her to leave for America. Charade was Audrey's 18th film. Her films just prior were... The Children's Hour in 61, which starred Shirley MacLaine and James Garner. Don't watch it. (laughs) But in 61 was a little gem that Toppy and I were talking about behind the curtain. Breakfast at Tiffany's, which, of course, uh, if you've been paying attention, uh, we do love our Truman Capote stories. 
and breakfast at Tiffany's is one of those. And uh, it, a, a fun, brilliant, sweet movie. And this was in 61 with George Peppard, who of folks, if you didn't know, he played the salt and pepper haired guy on the A team. He was the brains behind the operation in the 80s. Yes. Yes, uh, and last name uh, pronounced more like Peppard. Peppard. Okay. And uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's also had an actress from one of Toppy's favorite pilots, Patricia Neal, who played the original Mama on the Waltons. Mama Walton. In the five years prior to Charade, Hepburn averaged a film a year. Following Charade... She would appear in five more films, including a personal favorite in 64, My Fair Lady, which on Broadway actually starred Julie Andrews, and the film starred Audrey and Rex Harrison. Also in 64, uh, I'm sorry, in 66, Audrey starred in a film with Mr. Peter O'Toole, and it was How to Steal a Million. And in 67, Hepburn retired from acting. And she would divorce and remarry. And by 1970, so by the new decade, she gave birth to the first of her two children. And that, that was really her life from then on. Mm. Uh, uh, she absolutely devoted to raising her children. She would only briefly return to acting in a film that I absolutely want to catch now because it has Mr. Sean Connery talk about 007 and it's a story about Robin Hood called Robin and Marion in 1976 it was fun a fun movie and uh, Audrey appeared in a total of three more films uh, her last being a film that we uh, we may embark upon in the future here because it's also another of my favorites with Mr. Richard Dreyfus and John Goodman also, Holly Hunter from Jodie Foster's first film, which was Home for the Holidays. In 89, Audrey Hepburn appeared in Always, where she had a cameo as an angel. Before her untimely death at the age of 63 from Cancer of the Appendix, in 90, and then uh, in 93, Hepburn... Oh, sorry. In 93, she passed unexpectedly. And Hepburn, by the end of her career had only 34 acting credits. So she she was a bright star who retired at her pinnacle, and we still talk about her to this day. Now, Toppy, there's a a leading man in the story, the man who took Audrey by his arm, and uh, tell us a little about Mr. Cary Grant. Well, perhaps because, well, Cary Grant's a guy, and Audrey Hepburn is a woman, and there were expectations. Cary Grant's career went on for freaking decades. <laughs> uh, he never, you know, he didn't have to retire to raise children. Uh, be that as it may, uh, Cary Grant played uh, Peter Joshua. Of course, he has many names in this movie, uh, Charade. But he was born in England and at nine years old, uh, he. Uh, would return home from school to be told his mother had run off to a seaside resort. This is kind of, okay, I got to tell you, Cary Grant's early years, kind of tragic. 
Okay, he was told his mother had run off to a seaside resort. But actually, because men could do this to their wives back then, the husband had committed his wife to an institution. Insane. Whatever. You know, what did they call it? Uh, you, 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 you oh, were put away. Put away? No, no, no. It's got a term to do with the uterus. Uh, oh, what? Oh, anyways, why? I'm getting angry about this. Okay. So, uh, I just think it's horrible what happened here. Uh, he, he had no idea his mother had been institutionalized for years. Anyways, Grant dropped out of school at 14, joined an entertaining troupe, the Pender Boys, where he became this acrobat, and he learned comedy and pantomime, and he loved it, and he had a great time. And in the 30s, Grant was selected to travel to the U.S. to join their Broadway show that was called Good Times. And uh, it's, it's said that Mae West discovered him there oh he went up and saw her sometime <laughs> yeah anyways uh so <clears throat> uh, that's what kind of led to Cary grant uh showing up on the west coast in movies so listen oh my god we could go on forever about Cary grant his his career went on for so long by the way he eventually did learn the truth about his mother and visited her she was still alive in the institution. And uh, if you can imagine what he felt at that time about his father for never telling him. Tragic. Tragic. Uh, anyways. Um, so the, the movie that he did prior to Charade was called A Touch of Mink. That was in 62 with Doris Day. And uh, he also starred in uh, another six movies, including Houseboat with Sophia Loren, Operation Petticoat. These were kind of in his, uh, his uh, latter years. Uh, he was already in his 60s when he did Charade, and it, wasn't, and it was one of his last three movies because uh, Grant finally retired at the age of 62, where um, I think we can praise him. He had... Um, a young wife and had raised a daughter and um, he also pretty much dedicated his life to raising her. So there you go. Um, one of the other big players is the great, the wonderful Walter <laughs> Matthau, DJ. Oh, yes, indeedy. Mr. Walter Matthau appears in Charade. And uh, he's one of the, the figures that uh, the leading lady, Reggie, by Audrey Hepburn, is trying to figure out. Although, when she first meets him, she's pretty clear of his intentions, because it's shortly after her husband has passed, so she has no reason to question his story. Anyways, Walter Matthau played Mr. Bartholomew. Matthau was born in New York City. His mother was of Lithuanian descent, and his father was Ukrainian. He began working in television in the 50s. Charade was his fourth film. And just prior, he'd appeared in a film in 62 with Robert Preston. You know, the uh, the guy who's famous for The Music Man and many others. And Tony Randall. 
in Island of Love. And uh, after Charade, Matthau would star in a film in 64 with Robert Walker and Robert Walker Jr. and Burl Ives' Ensign Pulver. Now, over the next five years, Matthau would continue to appear in nine films, including in 64, a little film with Mr. Henry Fonda, Failsafe. And also in 64, Goodbye Charlie with Tony Curtis and Debbie Reynolds. And in 65, a film with Gregory Peck called Mirage. Most ironically, Matthau would have his first of nine co-starring roles with Jack Lemmon in The Odd Couple a few years after Charade in 68. Yes. Now, before his passing, which was in 2000, Matthau reached the age of 79. He had 106 acting credits. And in two of his last three films, Matthau would reunite with Lemon. His final film was a feature in 2000 with Diane Keaton called Hanging Up. And uh, if you haven't been paying attention, just this last year, we discussed a film with Walter Matthau in it. I'm sorry, not Matthau, it was Jack Lemon. Apologies. Uh, My Fellow Americans, which is quite a fun film. You can uh, go back into our archives and check that one out. But, um, yeah. you know, I, uh, I cannot believe how fun some of Matthau's earliest films were. Because, as many of you know, it's no secret that we adore Goldie Hawn. And the 60s was the beginning of her career. And there's a little gem that Matthau appeared in after Charade that starred Goldie Hawn in one of her earliest roles. He played a dentist, and it was called Cactus Flower. you got to check this movie out, folks. So, I don't know. One of the, you know, Matthau was a character. I mean, he was a character actor, but he was also a real character. I mean... You know, he loved to gamble. I uh, said he lost fortunes. And one of the reasons he kept working late in life was because he needed the money. At any rate, he, I think it was horse racing. He was madly in love with horse racing. <laughs> Sounds like an uncle of mine. <laughs> yeah, anyways. But uh, who would have ever thunk, you know, someone that looked like Walter, Walter Matha could have a career like he did. And it's just because he was so freaking talented, uh, and he was a great character actor. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk uh, more about the nitty gritty here, DJ. I'm oh, curious. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't think this was your first viewing, was it? It was not. Uh, I actually had caught it the other year because, uh, you know, once again, if you folks pay attention. We discussed a film that was very similar to this. It was made after Charade, and that starred Doris Day. Now, yes! <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of this too, DJ. Oh, now, in hindsight, I like to think that that film, which was called Caprice, it's not one of Doris Day's better-known films, was sort of a spoof on Charade because they had many of the same themes. And, of course, in that film, uh, Doris Day's character is is basically a spy. She goes to the cosmetics company to to find out, uh, you know, how the uh, the narcotics are being smuggled. But 
I caught charade shortly after that film because uh, my nerd brother, Mr. Toppy Smelly here, told me all about charade at that point. And that's one of the beauties of our show, folks. If you enjoy television, if you enjoy films, and you listen to our show, you're going to find out other films and projects that this director or that actor that maybe you only caught in this or that thing have done. And it's like going to school and these actors and these directors have people they work with and they have fun together when they're working and they will do things again. So it's like going to school and you find out, you know, that person you used to take your lunch with has done other things. So um, Caprice was that. Now, uh, it's funny, DJ, because, you know, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm kind of, I guess I'm okay with thinking that they were trying to spoof charade, mm-hmm. but if you hadn't said that, I, I was going to say they were actually trying to, you know, to do a movie like charade, Yeah. but maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe they were thinking more of a spoof, but there, anyway, there let's were. talk, let's talk about uh charade. I, I mm-hmm. saw it, seen it years ago and I, and on, on TV. And I want to ask you this, DJ. You got to go back to your first watching. Uh-huh. I remember my first watching and truly being unsure about Cary Grant. Oh. Is he the good guy or is he the bad guy? <laughs> and I think they did a good job all the way through that movie where you're not ever really sure until the end. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder... I mean, that was my, I thought they did a good job with that. Now, how about you? Oh, absolutely. Because, of course, it all starts with the funeral. You know, uh, Audrey Hepburn's character sitting there and, uh, you know, waiting for the people who are going to pay their last respects to her husband, who she was about to divorce anyway. So she's probably not thoroughly broken up about this situation here. But these uh, these men she's possibly never seen before show up. One of them actually sticks a straight pin in the corpse to make yeah. sure that he's gone. And, uh, you know, Cary Grant shows up shortly after that. And uh, he, he gives her a talking to basically to set her straight and to maybe put her mind at ease. But as you were saying, each time she runs into him again, he ends up trying to peel back a layer of that onion and tell her, oh, well, that's not my name. I, it, it's actually this. And, you know, yeah. oh, well, um, there, there is a missus, but we're divorced. <laughs> right. And at the end of the movie, this continues to the end of the movie, where, is this, where there is this wonderful chase sequence where Audrey Hepburn is trying to get away and Cary Grant is fast on her heels. And at that point, you just don't know. Is he, is he racing to save her or is he racing to kill her? It's awesome. It is awesome. And, you know, and then there's that really great moment where Audrey Hepburn's hiding in the phone booth and she's calling that office, which I think was at the American embassy. And, she thinks that she's reaching out to the good guy. She asks for him by name. And the person who's taking the call doesn't know who she is because... Yeah, and it, we've never seen him before. Yeah, it, there was an imposter before. So that 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 puts you on the trail. But, uh, Doppy, um, this doesn't really give a spoiler, but uh, in the trivia I was reading, 
that supposedly there are some old tropes that are used in movie making and that we're supposed to pick up on these things. It gives you a hint on the roles and uh, Walter Matthau's character, Mr. Bartholomew, apparently had a smudge or something on his tie early on in the film, and that's supposed to tell you that he's dirty. Oh, I honest <laughs> to God, I mean, I guess, I guess, uh, but I, that would never have occurred to me. But, but I, I guess, I think. One of By the, the way, I want to. Okay, one of my favorite moments in this movie is when Walter Matthau is is uh, uh, in in there with Audrey Hepburn, and he says, um, "Would you like a sandwich? <laughs> I've got tuna, tuna, and tuna. No liverwurst, tuna, and tuna. I don't know." And at first she refuses, but he immediately starts eating a sandwich. Okay. There is something so wonderful about watching Walter Matthau eat that goddamn sandwich. I don't know what it is, but it tickles me, and I just love it. I can't stop watching him eat that sandwich. It's uh, it's so terrific because you think of Audrey Hepburn as this gentle woman who's, you know, fairly classy. She's dressed to the nines, and she's sitting in this man's office after her husband's been murdered. And she's offered a sandwich. She's not sure that she's hungry. Of course, you know, with that figure, when does she eat? But it's like, liverwurst? Sure. Hand me a slice of spam, would you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then he hauls out a paper cup and opens a bottle of wine, uncorks it, and pours the wine into the paper cup. And that's his lunch. Anyways, I, I, can't, I can never get over that scene. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me ask you another question. Mm-hmm. I feel that some of the choices they made for Cary Grant in this movie veer off from sweet to just too much. Mm-hmm. So I get I get that why the scene where Cary Grant gets into the shower and soaps up with his clothes on, okay, too cutesy for me. Yeah. I thought they went too far. I, I, I thought that was a, a, a wrong choice. I, and there's uh, several other moments where they're, they just, and it's more Cary Grant than Audrey Hepburn, mm-hmm. where they just make him too damn cutesy. I, you know, I would agree with you that it's too cutesy. You know, the, the trivia tells me the reasons why, of course, these things happened, because Cary Grant was already in, you know, in his uh, wizened years, I guess they'd say. And he was concerned about the age difference between him and Hepburn and they actually had been in another film a decade before, one of her most iconic, Roman Holiday, that we were teasing Gertie about, about her scooter. One of the things that I enjoyed about this film was that they purposefully turned the angles of the pursuit, in that Audrey Hepburn's character was not being chased as a love interest by Cary Grant. They actually turned the tables. She was after him. And for that time period, that wasn't normally expected. You didn't expect the girl to chase the guy. So that, yeah. that partly addressed the age difference. And then, of course, the other thing being uh, that Cary Grant, being uh, in his 60s, he wasn't in his best shape. So the decision to have him shower with his clothes on partly oh. was to hide the fact that he had a pot belly. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that part. Hmm. At any rate, they they sparkle on screen together, and their exchanges of dialogue are 
fast and and witty. It's marvelously written. The lines are written, and also the other, the other thing that it does well is is there's moments of suspense, and some of the thrills are quite genuine. One of the first being uh, James Colburn lighting the matches in the phone booth, oh, yeah. uh, and putting and throwing them onto Audrey Hepburn's uh, lap. I felt so menaced. Mm-hmm. The first time I saw that, I was like, oh, my God. Well, then, of course, in response to that, when Cary Grant discovers her in the phone booth, she says to him, I'm having a nervous breakdown because this man is terrifying her. She's got some sort of sweet that she's like putting in her mouth to calm herself. Like, I don't know, it's some sort of confection. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not a lollipop, but it's some sort of. You know, some sort of hard candy. I was going to say, maybe something she snagged from the table because she had just come from um, a meal yeah. with him, I think, maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, there's, there's another scene. That, that whole um, scene with the international audience and the orange, mm-hmm. where there, it's the entertainment. Uh, again, I, I, thought they, I thought they just played Grant a little too cutesy there. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's minor. It's minor. It's... It, it doesn't ruin the movie by any means. I just thought, like, hmm. Now, there, they, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, there, there's also a moment during the film where uh, you get to experience some of the, the European pop culture. They're in the park, and there's a puppet show going on. And of course, I love that scene. <laughs> Toppy, set it up for the folks, because, you know, this, this is something you seem familiar with. Well, uh, Audrey Hepburn is in the park passing the time. She's watching the ancient old puppet show Punch and Judy being performed for an audience of children that are before her. And she's watching. And uh, Terry Grant sort of happens to come, you know, happens to come upon her and says hi. And they talk about the Punch and Judy theme, which Audrey Hepburn, you know, says uh, you know, is, is is somewhat like what's happening to her. There, there's a mystery about Punch and Judy that has to be solved, and who to believe. That was the main theme of Punch and Judy. Who do you really believe, mm-hmm. Punch or Judy? Because pun, p- yeah. Punch had faked his own death. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that was, and 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 the intercutting of the French children, so wonderful. You could tell that they went out and actually probably really filmed a Punch and Judy show somewhere to get those reactions from the kids. Uh, anyways, it's nice. It was such a nice bit of filmmaking there. Mm-hmm. By the way, did in, 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 do you recall, did you guess where the money was at any point? Oh. Because there's lots of clues. Mm-hmm. Like where the hell is this money everyone's looking for? Everyone thinks Audrey Hepburn has it. Well, in fact, she did, but in a surprising way. I I don't think, I don't remember figuring that part out. I don't remember uh, figuring it out the first time I saw it. And of course, obviously knowing it in the second watching, but I was trying to realize at what point I understood that she had it. And I thought that it was when she was in that bedroom with her friend's kid, and he was so excited about the suitcase on top of the wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. I I love the scene where they're going 
there's several, actually several scenes where they're going through the contents of that case. Mm-hmm. Tooth, tooth powder, a toothbrush, <laughs> and so on and so forth. It's just kind of funny. And it, it's so perfect, though, that basically it's the child that already has it figured out because it was their hobby. Right. Well, not necessarily figured out, but... He, yeah. had, a, he, he had that perspective that made them, made them think about things. It's yeah. like the kid's in and the park because of his hobby, and, oh, wait, these things are worth money. <laughs> yeah. And another one of my favorite scenes, I don't know why exactly, it's just the way they play it, mm-hmm. is when they go back to the guy that purchased the stamps, and he, he's got them, and he says, well, I know why you are back here. And he he tells the story of the stamps and the history of them. There's something about the way that plays that uh, it's just like one of my favorite scenes. There's oh, nothing. Yeah, I don't know. I just love it. I, I I love the fact that he is a you know a a wise and older gentleman, and obviously he's French, and it just gives you part of that respect that he did it just for the thrill of having those rare items. And he's like, that's all I wanted was just to hold them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to keep them for good. Yeah. He expected that they would be back, that it was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I, I love that scene. I, 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 I love the whole chase at the end and the way it goes into the theater and the way it's resolved. Uh, it's, in my mind, just one of those gem of a movie and you know it's kind of interesting because towards the end of the film they're at the park and you hear the sort of carnival music and that's something that becomes popular i want to say in the 80s with horror movies they they do that kind of carnival atmosphere as part of the chase scene hmm yeah yeah that was in there Mm -hmm. the music is is uh well, just really helps. I mean, like the music they play at the chase at the end mm-hmm. is like, well, you know, you just feel like, woo, oh, oh, they're on you your know, heels. You the, yeah, you feel, <laughs> you feel the, and that's a great chase sequence. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Toppy, we're at the end of the hour, and uh, we oh, already, oh, yeah. I hate to leave charade. We we have uh, walked out here towards the lobby, and this, of course is a segment that we like to call our snack tray, because once you've finished your goodies, you you realize what's left, and um, we're going to tell you about some other entertainment that you might enjoy if you like charade or if you like films of that uh, sort of... uh, Yeah, Gigi, what did you come up with? You go first. Well, I thought about this a couple of times, though. I'm forgetting the name of it, but there was a film that I considered for a moment, and it was a Woody Allen film with Diane Keaton. (laughs) Which Uh, one? um, It was like a a Manhattan murder. Oh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, So that might be a good one to watch, but uh, I think more directly, I'm reminded of this film film because charade takes place in paris and unbeknownst to me this is actually a remake uh in 88 originally this film was done with richard chamberlain and uh charlie's angel jacqueline smith and uh more recently in 2002 this film was revived and made into a series of successful films with mr matt damon 
and uh, it's called The Born Identity. A man is picked up by a fishing boat, bullet-riddled and suffering from amnesia, before racing to elude assassins and attempting to regain his memory. Born Identity, and uh, it's a chase where he's recovering his memory of being a, uh, a man for hire, and it's set in the uh, the excitement of a uh, French city in Paris. Oh. Wait a minute. I want you to go over the bit about the movie that came before Born Identity. Yeah. What, what was this? I did not Certainly, know Certainly, I did not know this either. So many films that we enjoy uh, are made popular by a more known actor, or at least an actor that's popular when the film comes out. So... Um, this film had actually been previously made. Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't a theatrical release. That explains it. In 88, there was yeah. a TV miniseries call, oh. called The Born Identity. Really? And, and it very literally, the synopsis says, an injured unconscious man washes ashore in a small French town. As he recovers, it becomes quite clear someone is trying to kill him. And that was Richard Chamberlain and Jacqueline Smith in the original TV miniseries. No kidding. And that TV miniseries came out before the movie. Right. And, um, wow. you know, more than a decade, almost two, they decide to uh, put it in the theater on the silver screen with Mr. Matt Damon. So, Huh. I did not know that. Yeah, I did so, not either. And the, uh, the Born Identity... Um, storyline became a series of films, and I want to say there were at least four or five. It was one of those... Oh my god. I, I knew there were three. Did it really go on that long? Oh my goodness. It, it was so good, Toppy, because the character, since he was a, a man for hire, yeah. he, you know, he, he had to basically be uh, you know, deadly. He had to yeah. know many ways to kill a man just with his bare hands. Right. And Matt Damon was in all of them? He, uh, most of them. There was a point in time after three or so that another actor took over the part. Okay. Um, but then uh, after a time, Matt Damon decided, sure, I'll do another one. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Okay. So he came back to the role. That's unusual. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. By the way, before I forget... <sighs> I'm pretty sure this is true, folks. Don't take my word for it. But I believe Charade was actually remade for the theaters. And it starred uh, 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 the, the guy that did the, the science in the uh, Jurassic Park. Uh, what was his name? Uh, he's got his own show now. Uh, oh, Jeff Carver. Goldblum? Thank you, Jesus. Thank <laughs> he's, you. He's from Pittsburgh, you know. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> If, if I'm correct, Jeff Goldblum made a remake of Charade, and I can't remember who the co-star was, and uh, it was basically a box office flop, and I would love to be able to tell you the title, but I can't remember. Let me tell you my snack tray. Okay. And it's a really obvious one. Uh, it's the movie that the director wanted to replicate or, or achieve something like. And my God, if you love Charade, you're going to love Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest with Cary Grant. Hmm. It's a wonderful, fun thrill ride. And uh, there's just so much to love about it. So that is my recommendation. If you love Charade, you'll love North by Northwest. Oh, excellent. So we've got some things to look forward to. And um, 
you know, maybe uh, by by the time uh, the 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 leaves change here in the not quite apple country, we'll get you out to Chateau Starsage and maybe show you one of these Matt Damon movies I talked oh, about. All right. <laughs> so, oh, right, Toppy, the Marionette is a uh, celebrated venue of many splendid things that have gone through these doors: vaudeville, magic acts, and there's a bag of coins over Gertie. there. <laughs> yes. Well, she is splendid, and um, uh well, I'm just and many things. I, I'm just glad that she's got uh, you know both shoes on and the right socks tonight that match. Anyways, okay, we're uh, get those yeah. coins for me. All right, uh, the magic coins. The uh, magician from Vaudeville left. Here you go. Got your coins here. All right. So, uh, you know, it should be said that this kind of snuck up on us, but, um, you know, here that we are in the, the crux of summer, we're going to take a little break shortly here. So this is going to be our season finale before our high hiatus, because, you know, really? it gets hot here in the marionette. The, the AC ain't that great. And, um, well, now that it's legal, I hear Gertie's been wanting to plant some things but hey you didn't hear it from me <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about oh so what do we got uh, what do you got next for next this film stars the um one ringy dingy lady and oh. uh, this is an early 80s comedy sci-fi movie by the future director of saint elmo's fire and flatliners mm. starring the funny woman from laughing and nine to five lily tomlin <laughs> A housewife grows smaller and smaller in reaction to chemicals found in cosmetics and household <laughs> products. Co-starring Charles Grodin. Next time on Matinee Minutia, The Incredible Shrinking Woman! And that is on Friday, August 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And, uh, you know... Show up early, because Gertie has been selling raffle tickets at the home, I hear. I'm sure. Uh, So this would be a treat for me, Deej, because I've never seen it, and I love Lily Tomlin. So this is going to be great. And I have it on good authority that her future wife actually wrote the story on this one. Okay, they are collaborators, frequent collaborators uh, on... on, uh, on their work together, so awesome. So uh, all right, and by the way, uh, incredible shrinking woman. Just a little twist. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't really have a lot to do with it, but there was a, a '50s black and white movie called The Incredible Shrinking Man, about a man who kept shrinking. It was not a comedy, but I do believe that this incredible shrinking woman is indeed a comedy. It certainly is. Uh, you know. Most definitely with Lily Tomlin. By the way, Toppy, uh, please do let us know. Peek over the balcony. Tell us who is in our chat room tonight. So we love it when people come by, when we do this live. <clears throat> and uh, I'd like to thank Lamont Cranston, Marin Gertz, for coming by, and also the ever-mysterious Crone Haven. Uh, thank you all for coming by and uh, keeping us company while we do it live it's much more fun with you uh when you're here okay so if you would be so kind sir to tell us if you could say good night in the ways of the old days of radio good night gracie 
Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to univospods.net, click the tower for streaming audio. Enter Discord for our chat room. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Find our group on Facebook. Or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. Just gone wild with Matt and Tom. Speak up. The Smellcast by Tommy Smelly. Be heard. Tastes like burning with Tim and James. Unique voices in podcasting. The Shy Life Podcast with me, Paul the Shy Yeti. Univazpods.net